message this morning is simply this. To see you fills my heart with joy. To see you fills my heart with joy. And we're going to look at um, Psalm 16 as a basis for that. But I found that going away on leave, going away out of your normal environment, is a, is a crucial thing. It's an incredibly helpful thing. Because it takes, gives you opportunity to step away from your normal run-of-the-mill circumstances, the grind that we can sometimes get into, takes time to reflect on your life, to say thank you for your life, to have a look forward, to readjust the goals that you have for yourself, the dreams that you have for your future. And it's often when you're in a relaxed place that you can best hear God. Isn't that true? I mean, God is always speaking. We know that. But sometimes we are so busy that we can't really hear what He's saying to us. And sometimes when we get out of our environment, that is our normal routine environment, we can hear God a little bit better for our lives. And I want to just reflect on one thing that I felt God speak to me out uh, of this time away. It's a very simple thing. It's just this, that being part of His church and enjoying rich friendship is such an incredible blessing. That's why I say to you, the title of my message is, When I See You, My Heart is Filled with Joy. It's such a privilege. You know, we, when we were away, we enjoyed such a refreshing time with our family, and we caught up with um, friends that we hadn't seen for many, many years. And that's a brilliant thing. But while we were away, I found myself thinking about you. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? So we were enjoying all that we were in doing, but every, every time I had a moment, I started finding myself thinking about you guys, thinking about how it was going on, on, on during the week or on a Sunday. When we were worshiping in another church, I found myself thinking, well, I wonder how it's, how it's going at home today. And there's a deep sense of joy in our lives uh, that can grow, and certainly for me over this time, as I reflected on the incredible friendships that God has blessed me with over the years, I can say, like Paul said, when I think of you, my heart is filled with joy. And I'd like to express, I'd like to um, explore that a little bit this morning with you. Our relationship with God and how it impacts on our relationship with each other. And so Psalm 16, the first three verses, says this. It's David speaking. He says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, You are my Lord. Apart from you I have no good thing. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. You see, I think it's the mark of a growing spiritual community that as His people, we start to grow in our relationship with God in our hearts, that we move beyond just delighting in the gifts that God gives us to delighting in Him Himself. That's the growing mark. That's the mark of a growing spiritual community. This is what I mean. That we can say... On the one hand, thank you, God, for the incredible richness of your blessings through your creation, through every good gift that we can enjoy. We can say that on the one hand. But at the same time, we can also say, I praise you, Lord, for your glory. That we can not only say, thank you, God, for our children. They are such a blessing to us. Thank you for every good thing that they mean to us. But we can also say, thank you, God, that you even create people in your image What a wondrous thing that is. That we can not only say, thank you, God, for your kingdom. Thank you for healing. Thank you for deliverance. Thank you for for saving us. That we can not only say that, but we can also say, God, I thank you for who you are. Holy Spirit, I thank you for who you are, that you are the great... So we're not just concerned with the gifts of God and the blessing of God. We are concerned with God himself. 
And whenever I hear people pray like that, something inside of me gets excited and thrilled to hear God's people thanking Him for who He is, not just for what He gives them. And I think this is what we are... Uh, David is reminding us with, of in these first three verses. And, and as the Holy Spirit stirs our hearts... And he gives us the power to comprehend the height and the breadth and the depth of who Christ is and the love of God that is shared abroad in our hearts, the fullness of God that we can enjoy in Jesus. As the Holy Spirit begins to do that, we become lovers of God himself, not just lovers of the things that he gives us. And we were fortunate to travel uh, in the last five weeks and see some incredibly beautiful things, incredibly beautiful things. Wonderful environments, great food. I love the sea. I, I just I want to die by the sea one day. There's something magnificent about the sea. It refreshes me on the inside in a way that nothing else does. The mountains are great, but the sea for me, man, the sea is the place to be. Perhaps because I grew up by the sea. But anyway, these are beautiful things. Um, but at the same time, I trust that as we move forward this year as a church community, that our preoccupation won't be so much with the things that God gives us, but with who God is. And there will be a growing love in our language for the person of God and who He is. This is what I mean. I've always been challenged when I read Paul writing this. Whatever I had, I count as loss for the sake of knowing Jesus. I count all things as loss. Because of the surpassing greatness and worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Philippians 3, you know it well. What about uh, David uh, in Psalm 43? He says, I will go to the altar, the altar of, of the Lord my God with exceeding joy, and I will praise you. What about uh, Psalm 73? You guard me with your counsel, and afterwards you will receive me to glory. Whom, I, who I, whom do I have in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You see, when I read those things, I'm challenged on one level, and on another level, I feel a little bit uncomfortable. <laughs> Why? Because I do love God with all of my heart. But you know what? I still love some stuff on this earth as well. <laughs> I love people. I like to be with people. I like to enjoy the blessings that God has given us. And so when, when, when the, the, the Psalms say that, and when Paul says, uh, I count all things as lost for the sake of knowing you, I kind of go, God, I want to pray that. I really want to be able to say that with all of my heart, but you know, I still love some things here. I love my family. I love good food. I love wine. I love... I love, like I've said, all these things that God blesses with us. So, if it's true that we, uh, the, 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 the um, sign of a spiritual community is growing in our love for God, how then do we reconcile these things of this, what are given to us in this verse? And I think there's some clues for us in these, in, in these three verses. Why, if it is all about a preoccupation with God, why in the church do we talk so much about relationship with each other? If it is all about our personal relationship with God, how come we major on, as well as our relationship with God, our relationship 
with each other. Why in this church in particular do we encourage you to open your heart to each other, to knit yourself together in this community, and in some meaningful way, work out your relationships with a group of people? Why do we do that if it's all about a relationship with God? Are are not... um, small groups or life groups, are are they not just a distraction then from the central thing that God has called us to, to know Him? And it's been interesting over the many years of being involved in church that I I hear that kind of language all uh, all the time. Uh, I love worshiping God. I love to be with His people. I love the big event. I love to go and worship with thousands of people. It's so inspiring, and it is so inspiring. It is wonderful, but I don't like to work it out in a local church community. Don't give me God's people. It's a little bit complicated. It's just me and God. I'm comfortable with me and God, but when I have to work it out with God's people, don't like that. Um, I also want to say this. At the same time, let's not be naive and think that as we try and connect with each other in small groups, whatever the form of that is, or in the church community, that that in itself is a spiritual thing. Because it's not a spiritual thing. This is what I mean. All over St. Albans, every week, people gather in small groups. In pubs, on the golf course, sports community groups, charity groups. People gather all the time in small groups and they share their burdens. They discuss common interests. They provide affirmation for each other. They bear bear each other's burdens. Meeting a group of people in a small group of itself is not a spiritual thing. People do it all the time outside of the church. And so it's very possible that we could have a church community where we love meeting together on a Sunday, but in reality, when we meet in our small groups during the week, there's no spiritual aim in the group, there's no spiritual atmosphere, and uh, words from God or praying for each other or worship is really seen as a kind of little intrusion on what's really a good time of just getting together with our mates. (laughs) And so in a real sense... A small group then can divert your attention from the central thing, which is your love for Jesus, and it just becomes a place where we hang out as mates. And uh, it's, relationship is wonderful, but that's not what we have community with for in, in the local church. So, let me read that psalm to you again. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to you, you are my Lord. Apart from you I have no good thing. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom I delight. You see, I love these verses because on one hand, it seems like I said to you that we can have this dichotomy in our lives where we think if we love God with all of our heart, we can't enjoy each other. And yet right now, I see here David saying both. He's saying, God, I have no good thing apart from you. And the way that he um, connects it is saying that I see that in your people. And your people in the land of the living are the excellent ones in whom I delight. I put it to you this morning. The more we delight in God with all of our hearts, the more we can delight in his people with all of our hearts. The two go together. We love God with all of our hearts. And how it was worked out is we love his people. Why? Because they are his people. That's why we love them. It's not hard to love His people. Why? Because they're His people. They're bought by His blood. I love the church because the church is so diverse. There are people here that I would never be friends with apart from the church. Isn't that wonderful? 
The church is a picture of heaven where every people group, every tribe, every nation, every language group will be together worshipping Him. That's why we want a multicultural church. That's why we want a church of all ages. Why? Because it must be a reflection of heaven. And in heaven one day, there are going to be people from Africa and Asia and Europe and all over the, the, the created universe, redeemed cultures, worshipping the Lord. That's what it's about. And surely here on earth, it's a picture of heaven. And that's what church should be. And so I don't see, when David says these things, there's no either or. It's not about loving God only. It's not about loving his people only. It's both. As David is saying, he loves God with all of his heart, and because he loves God with all of his heart, he places a high value on God's people. They are the excellent ones in the land in whom I take all my delight. And so, I want to encourage you this morning that we don't allow our community, our church community, or small groups in our church community to degenerate into mutually admiration societies that we just kind of pat each other on the back and say, aren't we wonderful? No, we don't want that. And this is what's going to guard that from happening in our church community is simply this little verse. Apart from God, we have no good thing, and therefore we delight in each other and in each other's company because it's an expression of our delight in God that we can delight in each other. And so my, my prayer for this year, and it's always a new year, isn't it? <laughs> this is a new school year. In the, next, um, in the next couple of weeks, we're going into the new school year. My prayer for this church is that the Holy Spirit will cause every person in this church community and everyone who's part of any kind of small group, whether it's the worship group or prayer group or a group that gets together during the week, will be so deeply centered on the Lord that every part of our getting together from the, the most passing remark about a sports result that's thrilled us, for example, to sharing someone's heaviest burden of depression or whatever it is, all of those things will be related to the Lord. And there's no doubt in my mind that the only way that can happen is if we are saturated in prayer and biblical encouragement. It's impossible to be centered on God when we are not listening to Him and speaking to Him, and particularly when we get together in any kind of small, small group. And so as we prioritize our precious time, and I want to say to you, I know your time is precious. I know many of you work in London. I know what it means to commute. I do. I know your time is precious. And as you are prioritizing your time for this next school year, my prayer would be that you also prioritize some time with other believers. However God leads you to work that out. I, I want to use this phrase, a smaller form of togetherness. Yeah? You've often heard me say, the church must grow bigger and smaller at the same time. So we get together on a Sunday, all of us, brilliant. And there's this kind of togetherness. There's a smaller form of togetherness that happens with you in your homes. I'm talking about that time, when you invite someone for a meal, or when you get together in a life group, or when you're praying with someone. That smaller form of togetherness, that even when you do that, it, it will be centered on the Lord. Yes? I put it to you this morning, the more you delight in God and who He is Himself, the greater your capacity will be in your own life to delight in others that love Him. And the more you delight 
in the spiritual things you see happening in God's people, the greater your capacity will be in your, li- in your life to delight in God himself. And so, I want to give you three things that I think all relate to joy. And I don't know about you, but I want some more joy in my life, right? Do you want joy in your life? Well, here are three ways we can find joy for our lives. And I want to mention them in terms of community and small groups. First, we can experience immediate joy in who God is when we see the glory of God reflected in the attitudes of people in a small group. This is what I mean. Jesus said, Matthew 5, 16, he said, Let your light so shine that other men may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father in heaven. Yeah? You know that text well. Often people that use that as Christians witnessing to non-believers. Let your light shine so other men may see and bring glory to God in heaven. It's like, okay, I'll share my life with unbelievers and then they'll see what God is doing for me and uh, give glory to God in heaven. That's true. But I want to say to you, it's not the only way that we apply that scripture. You see, as you live your life with other believers and you just live as God has created you to be, there's something in your life that reflects the glory of God to other believers. And that brings joy to other people. Can you be a joy agent for others this year? This is what I mean. When we um, see God's forgiveness worked out in someone's life, when we see the wisdom of God worked out in someone's life, when we see the deliverance of God worked out in someone's life in a small group context, when I meet with the leadership team and we are praying for people that are going through a hard time and I hear other people pray for for these believers with grace, with tenderness, with a sense of earnestness, with a sense of God, we desire the best for these people. There's something inside of me that leaps with joy when I hear people being concerned for others like that. Are you with me? That's what I mean. We can experience that kind of joy immediately in a, in a context where we are working it out with a small group of friends. We can see God moving and something of joy comes to us immediately. Secondly, It can be that we see that joy in a deferred way. This is what I mean. Um, If we were perfect, if we were perfect, all of our joy would come from those immediate experiences of God's glory that we see revealed. But we are not perfect. And I, this is what, you know, I've had this discussion with, with people for many years. But one of, the, one of the big markers for me is that we are not perfect here on earth, is that we are, we are, our relationship with God goes up and down. And we are lukewarm. If we were perfect, we would be on fire for God all the time. Consistently, always. In every circumstance, every time, every moment of every day. We are not. And that is just, uh, that's just a result of sin still, that God is, trans- God is transforming uh, on the inside of us. So our imperfection manifests in a lukewarmness. So what I mean, this is what I mean. Often we come to our small group, neither hot or cold, simply lukewarm. And we hear the amazing testimony of someone in the group who's uh, had God break through for them. And you know what it does for us? On the inside, nothing. It's just like blur. It's just like, well, that's cool for you, does nothing for me. And there's a sense of lukewarmness on the inside that we can't even respond to the, with joy to what's happening with someone else, that God is moving their lives. And you know, generally people in our, in our small group communities, they're so patient with us, they'll just say, I'm going to pray for you, and they pray for us, and we leave, and we go away, 
and we're still sometimes a little bit lukewarm. But you know what happens? I found this. Sometimes, a little bit later, maybe that week, or later that night, you're reading something, or you're on the train, and God speaks to you, and you reconnect with something that someone said on, on your, in your small group. And then suddenly, there's joy that floods you, just right there in the train. And you think, God, you've spoken to me. Have you ever had that? No. Come on. Yes, you've had that. Of course you have. And that's what I mean. It's a delayed joy. It's a deferred joy. You didn't experience it right then, immediately. You were feeling a little blur. You didn't kind of feel anything. But now, there's deferred joy. Because of what God spoke. And this is what I love. You see, this is what, this is what um, Paul encourages us to do in Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 5, 14. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with everybody. I find that incredibly encouraging. Incredibly challenging. Why? Because my tendency is not to be patient with everybody. My tendency is to say, why don't you get it? It's so obvious. Can't you see? And sometimes people do see immediately. But when they don't see immediately, what is our job as those that love Jesus and love His people? Be patient. Be kind. Be understanding as much as you are able. Pray. Say, Jesus, I'm trusting you for for whoever. I'm trusting you, God. And you know, sometimes it's hard when we don't see the breakthrough instantly, isn't it? I have this favorite story that I tell. When we were at Bryanston, the church that I planted from, there's a, a faithful lady there called Anne. She was involved in the church. She was a brilliant lady. Her husband was not saved. He was a banker. I'm not saying bankers can't be saved, but he had, he had, he had other priorities. <laughs> He was, he was a man of money. And she prayed for him for 20 years. 20 years. Nothing. How many of you have prayed for someone for 20 years and you don't see any change? Well, he got this magnificent transfer to this place called London. And he came across and he worked for this very exotic bank making lots of money. And someone invited him to an alpha course. <laughs> 20 years later, he got radically saved. Radically saved. And now he's back, he's an elder in a church in South Africa that they now go to together as a couple. I want to say to you, God can do anything. Be patient, be kind, be prayerful, persevere, don't give in. God is sovereign. He will do what he needs to do to save people. Amen? There's joy in that. So there's immediate joy when we see God doing stuff straight away. There's deferred joy. And sometimes I think the deferred joy is more satisfying, isn't it? When you have prayed for 20 years and suddenly God, and you, yes! Okay. I'm obviously a little bit over the top, eh? Okay, so let's, let's, let's commit ourselves to that this year. Being patient, being kind, persevering even when we don't see the breakthrough immediately. My third point is this, and I close with this. The third way that joy comes to us is that we can become a a source of joy to other people. 
And that's what we can work out in a very practical way in a smaller group. We can become a source of joy for other people. This is what Jesus said. Let me remind you. Acts 20, 35. Jesus says this. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Why does Jesus say that? This is what he means. You get more joy if you think about giving joy away than getting it for yourself. That is what he's saying. And so I want to encourage you, as I say to myself when I go to our small group, when I go to the play with the musicians or whatever it is, God, this is, this, this, I would encourage you, let this be your prayer. Lord, help me to be the person that says what they need to hear. Help me to be mindful of your truth in your words that is perfectly suited to their situation. Help me to be wise that I can say the right thing for that person to encourage them. Take out of my heart negativity, critical spirit. Help me to to be humble. Help me to be a listener of other people's needs so I can be a source of joy to them. And I promise you God will use you to bring joy to other people if that is your attitude. And when He does, the incredible thing is that your own joy is complete. It's magnified. It's You know what I'm talking about. You do. I know you do. That sense of deep satisfaction that comes when you know the Holy Spirit has used you to help somebody else. That's an incredibly beautiful thing. And so um, we all want to be around people that have been around God, isn't it? And if anything can improve upon the joy of being around God, it's only that we can add to that joy with the blessing of seeing another person begin to delight in God because of what they see in our lives. So those are three simple ways that we can find joy in God's community and uh, in the context of smaller groups. And I'd like to finish with this. I love Paul's language. Paul's language is, um, is always incredibly emotional in this, in this sense. Um, well, let me just say, uh, Philippians 4.9, uh, Paul says this, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, do, and the God of peace will be with you. Um, so Paul's encouraging us to learn from him, right? So he says, it's good if you see some things in my life, you put it into practice in your own life. And then he's, I want to say this about Paul. Paul would be described today as a workaholic. Paul worked very, very hard, if you read the scripture. He was also a brilliant thinker. We watched um, A Theory of Everything last night, um, the story of, of Stephen Hawking. The older I get, the more I can't watch those kind of movies. Gee, I was like, my heart was wrenched open, eh? Gee, have you seen that movie? I didn't find it easy to watch that movie. When you see what people go through in their lives, incredible challenges that people go through in their lives. But anyway, he was a brilliant intellectual, wasn't he? Uh, Stephen Hawking, he still is. Well, Paul also was a brilliant thinker. He was, a, he was um, a workaholic, but unlike most workaholics and most intellectuals, Paul had something that few workaholics and few intellectuals have. He loved people. He loved people. He liked to be around people. And what do I, why do I say that? Because he, he always speaks about workers in the church, people that are co-laboring with him, with this deep affection in his heart that you cannot fake. It is only there by the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen to what Paul says in Romans. He says this, and I hope it encourages you. I long to see you, he says. 
I long to see you that I might impart some gift to you to strengthen you, that is, that you and I might be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I love that portion of Scripture. Do, is there that same attitude in our hearts? I long to see you. I long to be with you. Oh, God. Another small group. Why do I go to these things? Everyone moans. Everyone's depressed. No. God, I long to be with your people so I can be a source of joy when someone is depressed that I will be the one who says, let me pray with you. I'll stand with you. I might not be feeling the best myself, but, but I'm, gonna, I'm on your shoulder. I'm your wingman. I'll be there for you. This is the church. We're not concerned so much getting joy for ourselves than becoming a source of joy for others. Help them lift their arms up. If we go on a, 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 to our small groups with the attitude of, I'm going to be a blessing to someone today. I'm determined that I'm going to encourage somebody. How different would that be? I'm sure some of you are saying, I'm not glad he's back. He's giving us a hard time already. What about Romans 15? Strive together with me in your prayers that by God's will I might come to you with joy. And be refreshed in your company. That's what Paul says to the church in Rome. I do love coming to church. I do. And I am genuinely refreshed when I get together with God's people. I love our life group. I don't, it's not a big deal for me to go on Wednesday. I love being there. Why? Because those people refresh me. I look forward when I'm feeling a little bit down to be with God's people because I know the ones that have been around God will lift me up. They'll encourage me. They'll refresh me. Come on now. This actually is good news, eh? And thirdly, the Corinthians, he writes this to 2 Corinthians 6. He says, my heart is open wide to you. Open wide your heart to me. This is what Paul says. His language is always imploring. It's always encouraging. It's not saying, I'm the apostle, you do what I say. He's saying, no, I'm opening my heart. I'm, it's wide. Can you see how wide it is? Will you love like I'm trying to love you? That is a great challenge. It's incredibly scary to love people like that, but it's the way of the scripture. Will you open wide your heart? You know what that means? It means having the courage to say, you know what, my marriage is really struggling right now. I don't have it all together. Please help me. Oh, no. We like to present the kind of, I'm all together, good Christian person, isn't it? That's what we do. We deceive ourselves. And we, we, we think that we are somehow reflecting God in a better way like this. I don't think so. Jesus wasn't like that. When we are struggling, the brave, courageous, biblical thing to do is to get together with our brothers and sisters and say, Please help me. And then lastly, Paul says to Timothy, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience, as did my fathers, when I remember you in my prayers. In fact, he says constantly in my prayers. As I remember your tears, I long day and night to see you that I might be filled with joy. It's about joy for Paul. It's about that sense of, I don't know how to describe it even, but the only, it's, it's what you get about being with God's people. There's a joy that comes from being with God's people that is more satisfying than anything else. That's why church is so wonderful.
Okay, now I've, I've really, um, I've laid my heart open. Whenever I do that, I always feel insecure. But <laughs> uh, this is what I believe God would say to us as we go forward. Let this be a community of love, of patience, of kindness, a source of joy to other people. Not being so concerned with joy for myself, but let me give it away. And so I'm going to ask this morning as we um, close, maybe you can't say this, Maybe, you, and I'm not accusing anyone, maybe, maybe it's just reality for you. You can't say, to see you fills me with joy. <laughs> maybe you just can't, you can't say, I'm just not at that place. That's okay. Let's, let's make it a spiritual kind of goal this year that God would transform us, that we could say genuinely from our hearts, when I see you, I think of you with joy in my heart. Yeah? And so I want us to break bread together. And I'm not trying to put this on anyone. I'm not. But I feel it would be appropriate that if there's someone that's blessed you in your life, just out of friendship, just being there for you, just... Someone's encouraged you, that's lifted your arms up, that you go and break bread with them, and you just say, I want to thank you for, for that. And you pray with them.